0: This time on Archery in Depth, we are talking to Quiet Cat e-bikes. We're gonna find out what's going on with e-bikes. How can they help us bow hunt? How can they help us go get access to different places? We have a great chat with uh, the guys over at Quiet Cat. They're gonna talk about the different line of bikes they got and what's going on with public land access. We're gonna discuss all the different things that are happening because this new technology Well, the laws aren't quite keeping up with it. So there's some different things you can and can't do with an e-bike and we go over all those different things and how you can sort of utilize the rules and utilize the options that you can get. How can you get away faster, more efficient and help your body out so you don't lose your legs, don't sweat all over the place, do all sorts of great stuff. It's a great interview. Hopefully by the end of it, you're gonna say, you know what, I think I need a quiet cat too. I'm your host, Marty Judnick. Let's learn more about e-bikes. Here we go. All right, we're talking to Adam Parr from Quiet Cat e-bikes. How's it going, man?
1: Hey, Marty, doing well. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Beautiful day here in Colorado. Spring. Uh, I do apologize, though. I'm a little bit... Uh, I get some allergies this time of year, so I might find something a little stuffed up, but hopefully it won't affect things too much for conversation today.
0: How dare you? How dare you be stuffed <laughs> up? It's springtime, pollen's out, people are riding their e-bikes around. Come on.
1: I know, I know. Bad timing, right? No Uh, worries, man. We'll make her happen. Excited to be here. Thanks for having us on.
0: Awesome. My pleasure. Um, Even though you're, you're one of many at Quiet Cat, I like to do a little intro with people, let people get to know you a little bit better as a person. So I have a question of three things. Three things to get to know Adam Parr a little bit better. Number one, what is your favorite big game animal to hunt?
1: man that's a tough one you know i grew up in michigan so i cut my teeth on white tails and that's kind of where my my blood and my my heart lives but living here in the west you know the elk and mule deer kind of come come at you a little bit uh and and take over so gosh that's a tough one man i don't know i don't know what i would say uh i think if if i just had to do one i think I'd, i'd i'd chase elk that's my i have to be the, the new favorite for sure. Nice.
0: You're probably obsessed with fly fishing too in Colorado.
1: You know, I am honestly not a big fisherman myself. I've done a little bit of fly fishing. Most of the time if I do get out, I uh, I just cheat and do the spin cast. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> They're going to kick you out of Colorado, man.
1: <laughs> I know. It's not the cool thing to do. But <laughs> hey, uh, when you're limited on time, uh, I just uh, I just throw out the spin rail and call her a day.
0: I hear you. Uh, I hear you. All right. Well, question number two. Get to know you a little better. What's your favorite cut of meat,
1: man? Uh, backstrap, hands down. That's uh, that's always the uh, the camp favorite after a kill, whether it's a deer or an elk. I always try to cook something up pretty, pretty fa- fresh on site or on the campfire or whatever. That's nice. uh, definitely a go to.
0: Any particular way you like cooking it?
1: Grilled, preferably, um, medium rare, can't overcook that stuff, but uh yeah, I, I love that. And then sometimes I'll do an appetizer with, you know, chunk them up and wrap them in bacon, but you know, just a good solid backstrap, a little butter, a little mm-hmm. uh, olive oil or salt and pepper, can't go wrong with that. Doesn't need much, does it? Yep, yep. <laughs>
0: last question get to know you just a little bit better is what's the favorite bow you've ever shot what's your fondest memory of this bow's my man
1: my favorite bow um i don't know i love i love my expedition bow right now I've, i've really uh come to enjoy shooting that compound but um getting back more into the traditional side of things but i don't know i had a i killed a lot of my animals including my first elk with with a a hoyt bow that i bought brand new in 2008 and uh kind of a package bow for 600 bucks back in the day and not top shelf any means but that bow has a special place in my heart and i still have it today i'll never sell that bow just because of the sentimental value so the hoyt uh Gosh, I can't even remember the model of Avenger. Wait, Avenger. Nice. That will never leave my my office, my main cave where all my mounts are.
0: Right on. <laughs> right on. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about Quiet Cat and uh how they've evolved as a company and kind of the history of Quiet Cat getting into the e-bike world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So a so Quiet Cat, we're electric bike manufacturer based out of Eagle, Colorado. Um you know make anything from your your twenty two thousand dollar price point up to you know seven seven thousand depending on the the model and and uh you know bells and whistles and stuff like that but um yeah we're really focused in the utility kind of off-road um hunt space overlanding, camping uh just general recreation and access so it's a really cool company um uh, we were started in 2013 and uh we really started with a uh, electric kind of like trike it's more portable version of an electric golf cart something that you could you know pull out of the back of your truck real easy it fold handlebars folded down all that stuff that you could just just pull out and go and uh and and so that was the original access vehicle and then in 2015 We launched the um, electric bikes, what you see today. We started with a couple models and we've grown it to, you know, I don't know, 20, 30 different variations of, you know, seven or eight different models. And that's pretty, pretty cool to see it grow. And uh, so, yeah, I started with the company and actually in, in June of 2015. So, can't believe it's been seven years. Um, I actually was working with the company before we even started, uh, producing the electric bikes that, Mm -hmm. that we all know today. So I've kind of been able to see it grow full circle and, and, um, you know, grow into a, you know, pretty good sized company and, and, uh, doing some really cool things. A lot of stuff in the works.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. E-bikes have obviously become pretty prevalent in the hunting world. And that's what really why I wanted to talk to you guys, because I think there's a lot of misconceptions. I think there's a lot of intimidation about what's going on with them. There's there's a lot of stuff going on. So let's let's start with the basics because one of the main things I think people don't totally understand, I didn't before I started looking into it more, there's a there's a real difference in how an e-bike works. You have a couple different ways that power and load is is given to the bike and that's through throttle power and then pedal assist. Can you walk through the differences and kind of tell us, you know, how those things work together?
1: Yeah. So, you know, e-bike is, you know, very similar to just a normal pedal bike, except you got your battery and your motor and yeah, uh, a throttle on some bikes, uh, depending on models and stuff like that. But yeah, so you you can ride an e-bike two ways. You can ride it pedal assist. So when you pedal that motor engages and when you stop pedaling it, it shuts off and then you can also just hit the throttle there's a thumb throttle on there on our bikes everything's equipped with a thumb throttle that is removable if you just want pedal assist only but yeah you you hit the throttle and you'll take off from a dead stop no pedal necessary and really in um how it works is you have your your power settings so you can adjust on ours you can go from power one which be your least amount of power least amount of speed up to power level five which is your most power most speeds you're constantly adjusting you know your power settings based on your needs of terrain or if you're carrying gear stuff like that so um pretty fun you know a lot of ways uh, ours are all high powered and and really built more heavy duty for like utility use carrying a lot of weight a lot of gear climbing steep terrain um so ours are pretty high powered it almost feels sometimes you get on those thousand watt bikes feels like you're on a little little dirt bike or something it's pretty cool electric's pretty torquey and and uh a lot of fun for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, a lot of utilitarian design for it, but fun is amazing as well. I found the interesting thing about pedal assist, if you've never ridden on one, it's hard to describe because you basically have to put a lot less effort and, and pedaling, you know, thrust into it. And that bike goes and it just Mm -hmm. goes and goes and goes. And at some point, It seems to me like as you get going more, like, you know, you start from a dead stop and then as you get going, it gets easier and easier. And at some point you're literally just moving your feet in the air and it just keeps going.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it depends on the model too. You know, there's hub drive, motor options, there's mid drive. And then we have like, um, like on our higher end bikes, like the Ridge Runner and the Jeep our full suspension models. Um, those are the ultra drive motors that have a torque sensor built in. So what's cool about those torque sensors when you're pedaling it, it matches your pedal input. So if you're barely pedaling, it's just going to give you a little bit of assistance. If you're really getting after it, going up a steep hill, it's going to recognize that and kick in more power more intuitively. So it's more of a natural fluid, you know, riding feel um, with that particular motor, whereas like on our apex and warrior are mid-drive models that are hardtail that's it's kind of more like a manual transmission so like you're you're adjusting your power settings you know more manually so it's not recognizing that torque so you just you know if i need more power i'm just going to crank it up to five or if i need less or whatever i'm going to crank her down so there's a little bit um stuff like that that makes a difference as well but um yeah it's pretty cool a lot of different variations there
0: yeah. Can you talk about some of the differences between those different types of motors and sort of if, if the average guy is saying, I'm trying to decide which quiet cat to, to look at, what are the differences and what are the benefits of of the different designs?
1: Yeah. So our most popular selling models would have to be our Ranger lineup. And, and it really do a lot to price. I mean, you can get into, um, you know, some of our entry level Rangers start at, you know, mid 2000s, but our more popular ones are, um you know mid three thousand dollar price point which would be like a ranger seven fifty or a ranger thousand watt bikes and, and really those are equipped with a hub drive motor and um hub drive motor the big advantage to a hub drive motor is its price. It's it's you know a lot cheaper, better value, especially if somebody's trying to get into an e-bike and, and not you know spend that five, six, seven thousand dollars. Um, the disadvantage to hub drive motors is they don't have the same amount of climbing capability, same amount of torque when going up those steeper inclines. So if you're, if you're hunting in the mountain West, a lot of steep terrain, pulling a lot of heavy trail, you know, really going to be using it like a utility vehicle, carrying a ton of weight. Um, you know, you might, you might have to look at going to a mid drive model or just know that you're going to have to compromise a little bit. Um, or there's trade-offs there. So like, for example, I've, I've hunted on a Ranger um you know elk hunting out here in colorado and a ranger will go anywhere any other bike will go it's just i have to pedal a lot more and and really work with the bike and and i might be using more battery and and not get the same amount of mileage so there's there's trade-offs there any of our bikes will work in any scenario it's just you might have to, to pedal work with the bike a little bit more when you get into the ranger lineup but again the advantage all comes back to its price point um from there you can go up to either our warrior our apex which is our the uh Standard uh, mid-drive motor. Mid-drive, the advantage is 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 really that torque and that climbing capability that you don't get with the Ranger hub-drive models. So, like on a mid-drive motor, I mean, you can just like we talked, like you were saying earlier you're kind of you're you're kind of pedaling almost like going through the motions, and the bike's doing ninety-five percent of the work, and it's carrying you up the steep hill. Uh, or pulling this heavy trailer with ease and you're like wow this is this is crazy how much much power they have so that's the big difference but you jump up in price um quite a bit like if you just go from our ranger to our warrior the only difference being that it's a hub drive versus a mid drive you jump up a thousand dollars just right there um and then when you jump up to the apex which is the same as the warrior but an upgraded component set with like better brakes better suspension um a wider gear ratio um, bigger battery you jump up about another thousand dollars so that puts you into that you know mid five range there. So, and then what, what I talked on earlier on the Ridge Runner and the Jeep bikes are full suspension lineup. They also utilize a mid-drive motor, but they have that torque sensor built in. So, it makes it nice for when you're pedaling a lot, pedal assist. It's uh it's a pretty cool setup and with the full front and rear suspension, those things ride like a cloud, super super nice for those really rugged, you know, two tracks or, you know, any uh rocky terrain. It's it's like you're riding on a cloud, man. Pretty cool. That is
0: cool. And as far as the location of the, the motors is the hub drive, the one that's on the rear wheel, and then the mid drive is in the middle on the frame where the pedals attach.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Hub drives in the rear wheel, mid drives in the, you know, center by the the pedals and the crank. And the other advantage, I guess, of a, um, a mid drive is that it's better for like more diverse, rocky, uneven terrain, a, a mid drive motor being in the center, um, of the frame. It's a better balance of the bike. Like you definitely feel, um, more stable i guess it's not a huge difference but you can definitely notice especially when you get weighted up that the the hub drive and the rear wheel um you know definitely not as um you know it's, it's a little bit different on the geometry there so it's uh, that makes a, a difference too when you're riding in those really rugged kind of tough tough conditions
0: yeah and one of the benefits i see of e-bikes over let's say you know you see a lot of people talking about teslas the breakdown and how do you get them charged and stuff like that when an e-bike drains its battery you can still operate it as a normal bike right
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah exactly exactly and and you can you know carry an extra battery um we sell a solar kit too you know for backcountry hunts stuff like that but yeah there's a lot of different ways and yeah if you if you do do run out of juice hopefully it's at the top of the mountain and you can just coast <laughs> down you know yeah.
0: Something I found important about that is, you know, let's say you're going to go on maybe a multi-day hunt and you're taking your e-bike back a ways. You don't really have to be that scared of, oh my God, what happens if I run out of juice back here? Because in the event it does happen, you don't bring an extra battery or whatever. You can still just bike right back out. And it's, it just Mm -hmm. really doesn't matter. You can do like, we can maybe talk a little about power usage. You know, you can drain a lot of battery real quick if you want to use that throttle all the time, or you can really be sparing with it and have it last for a long time. It's kind of nice if you just decide, Oh, I went crazy for a while, or I had a really steep hill or whatever. You don't really have to worry about being stuck anywhere because no matter what you could pedal back out.
1: Yeah. Always a way. And, um, I mean, you, you can always, you know, if you had to up a steep section and I mean, you could just push the bike or, you know, whatever. I mean, it's not the end of the world if you, if you did run out of battery, like you said. So, um, yeah, it's, it's never like you're stuck or run out of gas, like a a ATV or something like that. So a lot of different options to get yourself out.
0: Before we start talking about consumption, stuff like that. Can you explain the difference in wattage of the motors and what each brings and kind of advantage, disadvantages to the different sizes?
1: Yeah. So we have some hub motor options, like in our pioneer ranger lineup that start at 500 Watts. That's our lowest. Um. 750 is, is the next step up, and then thousand watt. The thousand watt is going to be your most power, most speed. It's also, you know, going to be better for carrying more weight, stuff like that. They do use more battery just because you're running more wattage through that system. 750 is kind of more the standard, um, kind of the middle ground as far as power and, and speed, and then um, and then 500 is kind of your entry level power the uh there are differences, and we can get take a deeper dive into that a little bit later or whenever you want to do it, but there's differences in legality reasons for riding on public lands and and bike trails and stuff like that. Um seven hundred fifty watts is the maximum amount of power you can have and be still be a classified electric bicycle when you jump up to a thousand watt or anything over seven fifty is is considered a motorized vehicle. However, it's not in that same classification as like an ATV or a side-by-side or anything that needs, you know, registration or, you know, these bikes don't have VIN numbers or, you know, insurance requirements, nothing like that. It's just that's kind of the, the threshold um, line that's been established here in the U.S. for, for classified e-bikes is that 750-watt cutoff. So it depends if you want to get into that now or we can talk about it later, however you want to do it.
0: Yeah, I want to talk a bunch about trails, access, things like that, and how it may imply or apply to those motor sizes. But let's talk about that a little bit later. Uh, first, it sounds like it's very analogous to, you know, a motorcycle motor, things like that. You know, a little bit higher size, you're going to get more power.
1: Hmm. Yep, Exactly. Exactly.
0: Let's talk about some other kind of specs that people might be interested in, um, the, the tires that are on quiet cats and maybe the overall weight of the bike so that people understand the difference between, you know, a normal bike and the difference between that and now at an e-bike.
1: Yeah. So all of our bikes are equipped with fat tires. Some are four inch majority of them are four and a half inch. And, um, you know, that's really just built for stability and, and traction in those off-road rugged conditions whether it's mud sand snow slick rock gravel um, you can adjust the tire pressure anywhere from 5 to 30 psi so if you're know you going to be riding a lot of hard pack or you know hard pack dirt trails or road conditions pavement you're going to run that psi closer to 25 you know plus if you're going to be riding in more gravel loose rock snow where you need more traction you can run those you know i run them around eight to ten psi really really pancake them out um differences there and your mileage too you know there's a lot that goes into your battery mileage based on just your tires alone so um something to consider there um but uh yeah what was the other part of the we talked about tires and then some of the other features
0: yeah and then like weight how much do these bikes weigh yeah
1: yeah wait uh so they're all about you know it varies a little bit depending on the model and whatnot but i would say the majority of like our ranger apex lineup like our hardtail and full suspension bikes are all about 75 pounds and that may sound like a lot um you know in relative to a, a normal mountain bike that's maybe 20 pounds or or less you know that is a lot of a big difference but you know you really don't feel that weight at all uh when you're riding the bike just due to the amount of power that our bikes bring to the table and and really what they're built for they're, they're not necessarily your single track you know most man, maneuverable super nimble you know downhill technical track bike this is uh this is a utility workhorse loaded up with a lot of gear a lot of power and that's what they're built for um so they're not the lightest bike on the market out there but you know that's not the purpose. They're built to to take a lot of abuse, a lot of rugged conditions, and and that's what we design them for.
0: Nice. What kind of brake systems are you running on these?
1: So our like our full suspension and um, the Apex, which is our mid-drive hardtail bike, higher end hardtail. Uh, we run high, uh, four piston hydraulic disc brakes. So really, really good stopping power, and we run um, large 200. 200 millimeter rotors so plenty of grab there for for premium stopping when you when you get into the warrior which is a mid-drive but kind of mid-level components you we we do run mechanical disc brakes and same with our ranger lineup um you know all again kind of factoring in a price point there but if you're like in the midwest or anywhere where it's rolling terrain i mean it's you don't necessarily need. Um, you know, the, the most responsive, you know, hydraulic disc brakes, um, that's more for like your technical mountain, steep, steep terrain environments. So, sure. you know, it just kind of depends on where you're at.
0: Nice. So one of the bigger questions, I bet the thing everybody wants to know, how fast do these things go and how long can they go that fast? What's the range? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So like our thousand watt bikes, both our, you know, warrior apex, ridge runner jeep bikes they'll they'll hit about 30 miles an hour um that's with like a 200 pound rider like myself you know you can you can hit 30 miles an hour you got to be all the way up in power level five and you know out in that eighth ninth gear for speed but i mean that's fast on a bike anything over 20 it just feels like you're like whoa like this is (laughs) i'm going pretty fast here i'm flying but um Yeah, so they'll hit they'll hit thirty miles an hour on the thousand watts. Now the seven fifties, as a classified bike, um, again we can we'll get more into this on the when we talk on legalities and public land stuff like that. But um, they'll they'll hit twenty miles an hour. We uh, we program them to go twenty miles an hour just to meet those classifications. So um, now you can you can go beyond that. I mean the bike will. I mean if you were coasting down a hill, I mean it's not going to be like limited. any of that but yeah i mean anything like i said over 20 miles an hour is uh is is really moving on a bike and and our customer base really isn't about speed to be honest they they really want something that's high torque and gonna climb the steepest mountain without really having to break a sweat that's what our customers don't even really want to pedal a whole lot they just want to they just want to have the power and, and uh torque to to climb and and pull those trailers you know with the deer on the back that's really what they're they're made for but it is fun to go you know flying 25 30 miles an hour on bike um range that there's so many variables to battery life and range and i mean rider weight tire pressure temperature outside um you know power level how much are you pedaling versus how much you're using the throttle the terrain you're on the surface you're riding on there's just so many variables there um so um, and, and obviously uh, battery size, you know, like our ranger and, and, and warrior entry level, we're running a 12 amp hour battery where as you get into the apex, you know you're at a 16 amp hour battery um, you know with our apex and jeep and, and ridge runner bikes. So uh, that makes a difference there, just the capacity of the battery. But typically what we say is is uh, two miles per amp hour for throttle only and four miles per amp hour, um, pedal assist. And, um, so kind of what that equates to is, is roughly about 25 miles per charge on, um, you know, like our Ranger and Warrior, no pedaling and, you know, up to, um, what's that? Uh, 48 miles on, on, uh, pedal assist. If you're really being conscious of your power setting and, and only pedaling, um, so you know, typically I see anywhere in a realistic hunting environment where I'm going up and down hills, I'm using a mix of both pedal assist and throttle. I'm going I might be using power five for this little section here, but I might be dialing it back to power two here. Um on more of a flatter stretch. I typically see 15 to 20 miles um as a realistic, you know, and that's not running it completely dead, but mm-hmm. You know that's that's kind of what I see in a realistic environment here in the West, which is still a ton of, of miles. I mean, to ride that many miles just in one day, it's, you're you're putting a lot of miles on on the bike seat there. So, um, and again, you can bring an extra battery and and stuff like that, and, and you can get I've I've gotten you know 40, 50 miles just being very conscious of my power settings and and uh, you know being being aware that, Hey, I'm, I'm trying to conserve battery here. So if I don't need to be in power five, I'm not going to use power five. So things like that, Uh, a lot of variability, uh, but, uh, that's kind of what we see as like a benchmark.
0: Yeah. I was going to say speeds fun. Everybody wants to go fast, but really when you're looking for the utility of this, uh, you know, bike and how it's going to help you hunt, it's really about that power assist, helping you get up a hill, helping you go down, whatever. It's just, it makes your life so much easier. Um, and we'll get into how that interacts with hunting and bow hunting and all that other stuff. But a couple more spec questions is um, two things sort of in the different lineups, how much can it haul? And we can go over some of the accessories that you can put on an e-bike. And then the second one is actual battery care. Um, you know, how do you take care of these batteries? Do you try to run them dead and then recharge them up in between stuff like that?
1: Yeah, hundred um, percent. So I'm like just weight capacity and, and hauling um so what we say is weight capacity for our bikes itself are 325 pounds rider and gear um now that's based on optimal power and performance our bikes can handle well above that but that's what we say for you know just kind of like the standard there optimal power and performance and safety too um now i know a ton of people have received pictures almost on a weekly basis of people with a you know, deer loaded up on the two wheel trailer, <laughs> and it's a 250 pound guy, and he's got 30 pound pack or whatever. So, I mean, he's hauling 450, you know, um, pounds easily uh, between the trailer and and the bike and and rider weight. So it's uh, they they have a lot of capacity there. Um, the two wheel trailer is better for hauling like heavier items such as a deer or an elk quarter. You know, anything hundred plus pounds, um, you'll want to go with the two wheel cart Uh, we do make a single wheel trailer that's more ideal for like tighter you know single track areas Um, but it can't handle the same amount of weight just from the standpoint of of how it connects to the bike so the single wheel trailer uh, we say about 60 70 pounds max capacity so it's great for like coolers and and small camping gear Um, but the problem is you weight it up more than that you have to balance that trailer because it's only on one single wheel you have to balance that weight distribution through the entire bike so when you you're getting in that technical terrain you got that thing weighted up it can you know it's a little bit tough to maneuver whereas the two wheel you know the weight of whatever you're pulling is stabilized by both tires and you're strictly just kind of pulling it mm-hmm. so that's a big difference and then we have other accessories like pannier bags and you know you can throw items in there um, that's actually where i carry my bow i just drop it down into one pannier bag and cinch it up and carry it that way you can strap you know i've strapped quarters down to the rear rack um you know so a lot of carrying and and weight capacity there as far as uh battery maintenance and and you know optimal life and you know taking care of the batteries everything we produce is lithium ion um, panasonic lithium ion batteries they're top tier top quality great thing about lithiums is they don't build a memory Um, so you can ride those like two miles and and charge it or ride them 20 miles. Um, it really doesn't matter. It's not going to affect your performance day to day. However, the batteries are rated for a charge cycle capacity. And so what we say is 800 charge cycles. And um, so what that means is every time you plug in that battery, that to, on the charger, it counts as one charge cycle. So it's ideal to, um, if you're trying to maximize the amount of, uh, of life, Uh, over the long term of that battery, it's always best to try to run the battery down as far as possible um, to extend or to get the most mileage over its lifespan. Um, So something to consider there, but it's just like anything with computers, with phones, you know, your battery's still going to work beyond those 800 charges, which could take you three years or more to even hit that if if you're, you know, depending on your usage. But um, the battery will still work. You're never going to completely die. It's just not going to have the same amount of mileage. Just like your phone, you know, like two years two years later, you know, it seems like you got to charge your phone, you know, two, three times a day or it was when you first get it, <laughs> yeah. you know, you maybe once a day or once every couple of days depending on what you're doing with it. So stuff like that. Um, as far as like maintenance and, and just kind of taking care of the battery, um, if you're not riding the bike for what, what our – what our battery, you know, our manufacturers say is that anything longer than a month of it sitting around, ideally, it's best to store it, you know, in a stable temperature environment uh, from 50 to 70 degrees, and and uh, leave it at approximately 50% charge is what they say. If you know, so like if you're not riding it for the winter, you know, bring it inside. Try to leave it at that 50, you know, around 50, it could be 60, it could be 40, uh, but that's like ideal. Um, doesn't necessarily, most people don't always abide to that, but that's for anything long term storage is, is better. And obviously keeping them warm, you know, when it comes to like hunting and cold weather conditions and you can't bring your bike inside. Um, it, if you're hunting in those conditions, it's always best to pull the battery out remove it quickly it's real easy to do Um, bring it inside to either your truck or your your cabin or wherever you're staying and then and then put it in the bike when you're ready to ride it you know same thing with like transporting the bike if it's cold out you know you'll want to keep that battery inside your truck or vehicle until you're ready to ride Um, in those cold environments where you're going to leave your bike all day or whatever I will actually pull my battery out I'll put it in a pannier bag, like one of the saddle bags, and throw a couple hand warmers on there to keep it keep it stable and keep it warm. So that way, you know you're gonna have full power whenever you're riding out. Because if they if those batteries get real cold, um, you know just like anything, it's just it's just not gonna have the same performance and power. So there's a lot of little things you can do to 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 improve the performance in various conditions with the batteries. But again, a lot of variables there too.
0: Yeah. I think the phone analogy is pretty good. We've all experienced what happens to your phone when it's super cold, super hot. The battery doesn't work (laughs) amazingly. Uh, But Mm -hmm. a nice feature of the quiet cats is it's really easy to take that battery on and off the bike. And then there's also a locking mechanism, right? If you want to keep it on the bike and you don't want anybody else to take it off, you can keep it on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And two years ago we went to an internal battery design. So the battery actually sits up inside the frame, um, you know, protects it more from the elements and, uh, So that's, that's nice as well. Helps, helps with performance and, and also makes the look of the bike, um, you know, more aesthetically pleasing and, um, yeah, more security as well. Yeah.
0: Nice. It's sort of like the frame just looks a little bigger. It's not a bike with a battery just sitting on it.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, let's talk about how e-bikes in general interact with bow hunting, gun hunting, hunting in general, we had touched upon some of the legality stuff, but Overall, first, you know, this is a new technology that's only been around, you know, relatively recently, and a lot of state laws haven't kept up with these kinds of technology. Just in general, touch upon some of these access issues to public land and some of these size restrictions. Uh, if you could, obviously, it's going to vary from place to place, but in general, what are some of the things that people should keep, be on the look for?
1: Yeah, so let's let's before we talk about public land usage, let's talk about the. Um, classifications of e-bikes because that that kind of sets the stage and then and then from there we'll we'll jump into different like u.s forest service so your national you know national forests, your blm um you know stuff like that so um so classifications in the u.s um there are three different classifications of e-bikes and this is basically just kind of the the standard what's been written um, into policy and what's been established here in the U S like in Europe, you know, it's 350 Watts in Canada, it's 500 Watts in the U S we're, we're bigger, better, faster. We want more power. That's how yes. we do it in America. So yeah. we're 750 Watts. <laughs> and so all there's three classifications of e-bikes and they're all based on 750 Watts as your max uh, power. And that's to be a classified e-bike. So class one is 750 Watts. Um, pedal assist only so it can't have a throttle and it's governed to 20 miles an hour um so that's class one 750 no throttle speed to 20 miles an hour class two is the same thing 750 watts governed to 20 miles an hour but can have a throttle Hmm. so that's the big difference right there is is the pedal assist only versus throttle now class three is still 750 watts it can go up to 28 miles an hour, but still only pedal assist, so no throttle. So those are, those are the three different classifications of bikes, and that is what you're seeing built uh, or being referenced in various public lands or bike trails. They might say, hey, this particular trail, we allow e-bikes, but only class one. Or this particular public lands, we allow e-bikes, but only class one and two. And then you might have a certain, you know, jurisdiction that might say, hey, yeah, we allow all three classifications of e-bikes, one, two, and three. So that's kind of like your framework there. Now, when you get into um, thousand watt bikes, like what we offer and, and pretty much all of our models, um, again, those come back to that is considered or a motorized vehicle in or it's just not in the classified e-bike. It's 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 more in that motorized vehicle. However, like I alluded to earlier, it's really not in the same category as, you know, motorcycles and ATVs and, yeah,
0: it's, just and no longer, like that. it's just no longer a bicycle.
1: Exactly. Yeah. But it's you know, it's it's just it's tough. You know, a lot of it comes down to the enforce, you know, there's all these laws and they're starting starting to kind of get more standardization across the board but where it comes down to is the enforcement of it you know like for example our thousand watt bike sitting right side by side to a 750 watt bike looks the exact same you literally cannot tell the difference um in those bikes so yes there are these established laws um but the enforcement i see is that the biggest biggest issue unless unless somebody comes up but you know there you have to put stick like you know they're mandating you, you know you have to put the classification sticker on the bike you know so if somebody didn't want to come check you and, and stuff like that you could see that um so there's there, there's that whole area and then when it comes into like public lands you know, um there's a lot of resources out there. One of them is people for bikes, and we can link to it in the show notes or however you want to do it. But peopleforbikes.org is a great website and they have they have um, a lot of resources. They have a state by state electric bike um, guide. So you can go and like literally click on any state. You can go, you know, view laws in Colorado, you can go v- view laws in Pennsylvania, um, and they'll they'll provide as much information as possible because this organization kind of keeps keeps tabs on all the latest trends all the latest data all the latest um developments and e-bike laws and access so that's always a great resource to to look at um you know what i tell everybody is unfortunately e-bike laws and where you can ride them and where you can't ride them is kind of the wild west Mm -hmm. um in a lot of ways there's just It's just not to that level yet um, in development. It's always best to check with your local um, jurisdiction wherever you'll be riding. So for example, if you're planning on hunting a state forest or a state wildlife area, you know, it's best to contact your state agency that manages that particular land and say, Hey, you know, do you allow classified e-bikes or, you know, what is your e-bike policy on this particular land? And that could change, you know per per region per you know per state per county um so it's always best to check with your localized um jurisdiction that is managing that active trail or that particular land you know same thing goes for riding like a you know an open bike path around town um you know if there's they might have a marked, if they don't um you know, it's always best. Hey, reach out to the county that that manages that particular trail and say, do you you know, are e-bikes allowed here? Um, when it comes to like, you know, uh, U.S. Forest Service or um, BLM lands like that, the uh, Department of Agriculture um, manages the BLM Fish and Wildlife. Um, what are some of the other Bureau of Reclamation, some of those lands, they came out with a ruling um, three years ago, 2019, that basically said that, you know, uh, oh, and National Parks falls under that same same category. Basically, it stated that, you know, we have made a law to allow the law of classified e-bikes. It didn't say that, hey, now all classified e-bikes can be ridden on all BLM lands or all Bureau of reclamation lands are all national parks, but it allowed um, the classification of those e-bikes to um, to allow the regional managers of those lands to establish the laws on that particular piece of property. And so again, it comes back to gray areas. But People for Bikes has a really good resource on their website that you can link to as well that shows all national parks across the country. All. BLM lands and and regional offices. And it'll say, Hey, yeah, these bikes are allowed on, you know, these particular lands. Uh, There's just so many different variations of it. and I can get a little bit long, long winded, but the (laughs) bottom line is is you have to check with your, your, whichever land you think you're going to be riding on. Um, You know, the, uh, it's always best to check uh, before you go, if you want to avoid any confrontations or be completely legal.
0: yeah Yeah. and it seems silly frankly that the same tires are touching the same piece of ground but they're going to classify them differently it's crazy
1: yeah yeah it is it is um but i get it you know i mean you got to draw the line somewhere um i mean you could there could be somebody that comes out with a a 2000 watt e-bike. And, you know, it's basically like a dirt bike at that Mm -hmm. point or, you know, whatever. And and the main thing is what I've found, I mean, I've ridden e-bikes all across the country in various cities, various trails. Um, What it comes down to is really just trail etiquette and, and not being, you know, don't go blow by somebody at 25 or 30 miles an hour while they're walking their dog or something, you know, like be yeah. conscious of that. I mean, that's, that's really what it comes down to in a lot of ways. If I, I come up to somebody and you know, they're on a normal bike or, you know, they're walking, like I'm going to slow way down and, and be courteous of them. That's, that's the main thing. Yeah. Um, you don't know, be that so, guy.
0: Don't be that yeah, guy. Exactly.
1: Exactly. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, if, if a trail is, is clearly marked, and it says no e bikes or no motorized vehicles allowed. I'm like, yeah, by, by no means. You should be riding on that. Um, you know, for US Forest Service, so like your National Forest, they just came out, you know, with their updated ruling. They've been reviewing it the last couple of years. They don't allow any bikes or any e bikes on non motorized trails, so like your horse trails, your normal mountain bike trails they do not allow any e-bikes whether it's 750 watts, 1000 watts or 250 watts um but you know with it, with with that on public lands i mean just being able to ride them on certain roadways and existing motorized trails are still a valuable tool so yeah. you got to look at it that way too
0: yeah and that makes sense why in the classification um you guys do offer the ability to remove the thumb throttle right so that it's only mm-hmm. pedal assist
1: yeah so you can quickly switch from class 1 um to class two. Uh yeah, with just that removal of the thumb throttle and um, you know, the bikes can be programmed in the back end of the computer screen to adjust your speed settings as well. So you can yes. be completely compliant on all three of those categories um relatively easily. Yeah.
0: So some of the good parts about how the e bike helps people hunt and get Better, longer access to land would be, you know, you're able to get up inclines, declines, go back further. You know, I've always found when you're trying to get to good hunting areas and better game, you need to get further away from people. And this is a really easy way to do it uh, and get mm-hmm. out there. But it's also as, you know, the the boomer generation is getting older. People are Americans. We're not always in shape. We're all getting older, stuff like that. This is a great alternative to be able to really get far back there and get access to terrain that, you know, people are out of shape. They might not be able to get to otherwise.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's so many different, you know, reasons why somebody would want to use an e-bike. Like you said, you know, somebody that's elderly or get, you know, maybe maybe they used to mountain bike all the time or used to be able to go five miles and, you know, and no problem. But maybe they had a knee injury or you know, they just don't have the same capacity that they used to because they're getting older and e-bike helps with that access. You know, the the whitetail hunter is is more concerned about low impact stealth and, and scent reduction. So, you know, somebody, although they might only have to go a quarter mile to their tree stand, they want to, you know, go quietly down the trail, um, not, not uh, you know, scent up the area. Hey there. Hey there. Hey Marty. It just dropped off. I'm not sure what happened.
0: Uh you probably got a notification or a call or something. It's it's one of these things with the software when somebody's phone gets a notification or something, sometimes it kicks us off.
1: Ah, uh, okay. It's weird. Yeah, I got a few calls earlier, but not right then. So I'm yeah. not sure sure what that was. But how do you want me to re or tell me when you want me to restart and where yeah. do you want me to start off? I'll splice it back together. Um Okay.
0: So we're talking about how e-bikes are helping out the average guy that might be good, getting a little older, a little more out of shape and get the access that they can't get otherwise now. And it brings in other advantages for let's say Midwest or other people that aren't in the most challenging terrain, but there's other advantages to this like scent control and noise control. You know, can you talk a little bit about what advantages that brings to people that are trying to get back there?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's, tons of different reasons why somebody would want to use an e-bike whether it's you know like you said the, the elderly um you know person that might be able might have used to be able to cover five miles no problem but maybe they have a knee injury or you know some sort of you know they just don't have the same capacity that they used to can't go as far so an e-bike would be you know more readily used for just strictly access um you know the the whitetail the average whitetail guy is really concerned about scent control and, and stealth and, and low impact. Um, they, they're not necessarily considering, you know, distance, uh, although some, if you're a public land hunter, but, you know, private land hunter, you might only go 400 yards into your stand. Um, do you need an e-bike for that? No. Um, you know, but as, as far as accessing quickly, quietly and scent free, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, for the, for the mountain West hunter, I mean, I'm a, you know, 33 years old, pretty good shape. Um, for me, it's all about efficiency. I, I use the bikes cause I'm a busy guy. I'm a, I'm a dad. I gotta work a full time job. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm pretty much limited to to evenings and, and weekends. So I want to be able to maximize the amount of time that I have, um, you know getting in the zone so to speak really for for western hunting like for example like i can i can throw the bike in the back of my truck you know leave work at five drive 30 minutes to a trailhead or or a road or something throw the bike out of the back buzz in two or three miles and and, in 15 minutes 20 minutes and i'm i'm in the game at that point um whereas if I left work at five, drove thirty minutes, hiked in two or three miles, well shoot it's it's probably getting close to dark by then and to even make a play. You know, I'm talking more elk hunting here, but to even make a play on that's going to be damn near impossible. So, the 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 efficiency standpoint is really what caters t- to me and what I use them for, and and still bring being able to bring all your gear. Um, you know, I I've I use the bike a lot on national forest land. You know, really um, from the standpoint of just how rough those roads are, they're motorized trails. Um, but if you were to drive your truck down them. I I mean, I have to just absolutely crawl or I'm getting my teeth rattled out. Um, (laughs) or, you know, it's just not easy to, to, to get your truck in some of those areas. Now you could bring a four wheeler and ATB, but again, you're going to have to bring a trailer or, you know, unloading and loading can take more time. Um, and then you have the noise factor as well. So I can, you know, I love just getting on a bike and, and going, Um, sometimes I'll ride a a bike down a, you know, forest road or, you know, an access road in the morning and I'm, you know, ripping off bugles in the dark. And if I can get something to answer, you know, I'll I'll park the bike and go in. If I don't hear anything and, uh, you know, I might ride another couple, you know, uh, half a mile or so and let out another call and, and see what I can pick up. So there's just so many different uses and they're just fun. You know, I mean, the average person in our market, average consumer yeah they're buying it for hunting or you know um you know access and and that way really utility access but and these these bikes are a lot of fun just to to take on vacation and and ride around the lake or you know i find myself just jumping on one and and running down to the grocery store to pick up a few items and, and buzzing back or um you know riding riding to uh to go pick up a sandwich you know down the road or what i i live in town here so it's you know i i use it a lot for just getting around man it's a lot of fun and sometimes it's quicker in certain areas like my dad has one of our bikes uh, busy town in summer tourist town in northern michigan and uh it's it's tough to just get around in a in a, in a car so i'll i'll jump on his quiet cat and i can uh I can get downtown a hell of a lot quicker than, than trying to drive my, my vehicle down there. So there's just so many different uses. That's what's cool. There's so many different um, utility uses. There's so many different recreational uses, access, efficiency, stealth, um, and so many different industries, whether it's camping or, or hunting or general leisure and recreational riding. It's just a lot of fun. Yeah.
0: And the gas is free
1: with the price exactly. of gas today. <laughs> hey, Pretty much, yeah. It's a lot cheaper to plug in your charger for, you know, six hours than it is to go, you know, pump 20 gallons into your truck, for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that brings up two other, I think, hunting-related really big benefits uh, to an e-bike versus anything else is, number one, we were talking about scent control, but not only just your boots on the ground scent, but sweat. You know, when you're hiking in miles and miles and miles, you're building up a sweat, and then all of a sudden you— find, you know, herd of elk or whatever, well, now you're beating sweat everywhere and they're going to smell you a little bit better. If you can get in on that e-bike and keep your sweat to a minimum or maybe even be cold, that's a huge benefit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The scent factor, um, is, is definitely one, like you said, too, if you're, if it's cold out and you broke a serious sweat, that's, you know, that can be a problem, uh, especially in a Western environment. But three, also it's just the uh, you know saving your legs in a lot of ways. I mean, if you can save your legs and and buzz in two, three miles on that trail or road and then get off and hike up that you know steep incline or or cover your last half a mile or mile or whatever, I mean, some guys go in ten miles. I mean, it's not, I mean, that's the thing. It's like there's so many so many ways to to do it. but yeah, just being able to save your lungs, save your legs, and really use it for that last push. Uh, getting in the zone, that's, that's important too, because we all know how physically demanding Western hunting is not easy
0: for sure. And like you had talked about scouting, but also early morning scouting, huge advantage over say a four-wheeler would be when you're buzzing around, it's dark, you're just about to start a hunt or you're going down trails, listening for bugles. Number one, you can hear the bugles on it because it's a million times quieter, but also they can't hear you, right? They don't hear an engine coming up. You just have basically the sound of the tires running on the ground. And that could be huge as far as you hearing it. And then them not hearing you too.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And like the, the Western or, uh the whitetail guy I mean scouting is is huge um to be able to just quickly eliminate whether it's public areas or a big piece of land or something like that to quickly cover ground and you know eliminate particular areas is huge too you can waste a lot of time walking around on foot um you know and then if you got like an established farm or even here in the west you know if I'm trying to check trail cameras i mean i can i can buzz around on a bike really quickly and and be able to do that um a lot more efficiently than than having to walk and and be you know again comes back to low impact and and stealth and and uh keeping the pressure low so yeah Yeah. lots of different ways to 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 use them for scouting too
0: for sure and i want to talk about some of the other accessories here in a second but Give us some tips on bringing in a bow and bow gear or rifle, rifle gear. When you're getting into a hunting situation, give us some tips on how to bring that stuff into the field while you're on an e-bike, because obviously you don't want to necessarily fall or mess up equipment or anything like that. In your experience, give us some tips on how to do it.
1: Yeah. So we, we have a couple of different options at, at, at quiet cat. Um, we offer like, uh, like the rhino grip type, you know, bow holders that can go either on your um, handlebars or they can, you know, attach to the rear rack. A couple of different ways you can do it that way. A lot of guys will put those bow holders on the handlebars and, and put their bow in there, strap it in. You're good to go. You could do that with a rifle as well. If you wanted. Um, I don't particularly recommend that. We'll get into that in a second. Um, you can also, you um, i i personally you know there's for western hunting or you know i guess really any hunting um a lot of times people just strap them to their backpack you know so if you're riding in that way a lot of times people strap their bow or their gun on their pack and ride in um the way i do it is i run our pannier bags which are basically like your saddle bags that quickly attach to the rear rack and i'll actually drop my bow down in um with my fletching sticking up out of the top of the bag and just kind of cinch that bag down with the straps and it and it works great. Um it keeps it protected, it keeps it up away from the tires and it's off your back. Um you know, in the event that you caught a stick or or you crashed or whatever, it, I guess it's, it's it can go either way at that point, but that's the <laughs> way I prefer it. Um I prefer it off my back um and I put it just in the pannier bag. That's like the simplest thing for me, but some people like to have them on you know attached in a rack um you know there, there's also different legalities um too um depending on your state of uh you know motorized vehicles i i talked to colorado parks and wildlife on this a while ago but again it comes back to your state too but you know it really comes down to you. does your state Um, classify any e-bike as motorized because at that point you know like you're in Colorado you know whether it's a gun or a bow uh, when you're riding in a motorized vehicle it has to be in a case Um, usually a hard I think it's hard case I believe so um, there's different regulations you need to be aware of um, you know especially like with gun hunting I mean if 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 an officer said, you know, Hey, I classify your bike as a motorized vehicle and you were riding around with, you know, a gun not cased on, on your bike. Well, that could be a potential violation. So there's, again, it always comes back to checking the local laws in your area. Um, but, uh, I, what I do when I'm riding my e-bike here in Colorado, I'll, uh, and I'm, and I'm, uh, uh, gun hunting, I will actually just bring my hard case and I actually just kind of strap it to the rear rack and I kind of angle it on an angle. So I, am not like, you know, wide and going to be catching it on a bunch of trees or brush. I kind of angle it and uh, carry it that way. And that way I know I'm, I'm in a hard case. It's, it's, it's protected and I'm meeting those regulations of of legalities and and carrying a weapon on a motorized vehicle. So couple different factors there
0: and you could also hit the easy button just throw it in a game or cargo trailer
1: exactly exactly you could do it that way as well strap it to a trailer and you're good to go
0: let's talk about those for just a second how do they attach to the bike and you know give us an idea of what they can haul you know i would assume most people when they're thinking about that type of trailer you're going to throw a deer in there that you feel dressed or maybe a quarter of an elk stuff like that are they rated for Mm -hmm. that kind of weight
1: yeah yeah so um they quickly attach um both trailers, single wheel trailer, attaches to the rear axle with kind of like a, um, you know, a latch system. Each arm kind of goes on each axle and and attaches that way. Um, we uh, actually we changed that a couple years ago to we we actually design in uh, bolts that come off the the part of the rear triangle, the frame. So they actually no longer, the, some bikes are a little bit different, like the full suspensions, um, because they pivot on the frame. We still attach to the rear axle on that single wheel trailer. Um, but the, um, but like the hardtail bikes, we actually built in a attachment point for those trailers. So it's not on the axle anymore, but yeah, they quickly attach, um, both trailers, um, really easy to take on and off the advantage, um, of the two wheel trailer, like I talked about earlier, is just more weight capacity. Um, you can, you can haul a full deer on that, on that trailer. I mean, I would, I would be comfortable with, you know, 200 pounds on that trailer. No problem. Um, you do have to be conscious with the two wheel trailer. It's, it's, it can tip over, you know, that's one thing you can't just go like, you know, barreling down a, you know, really bumpy rocky road and not expect it to tip over it's not going to like flip your bike or anything but um you know they're made to like pivot around like that so it's no problem if it does but you 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 can't go super fast with that much weight um single wheel trailer it can't tip over because it attaches on both sides of the bike like it's it's like literally kind of part of the bike in tandem but the disadvantage is again when you load that up above you know 75 pounds it gets you're having to balance that whole weight of the trailer through the whole bike and and so when it comes to you know turning sharp or you know you you don't have it perfectly upright it can start pulling you and and be difficult to navigate so that bike is really more uh the single wheel trailer is really geared more towards like lighter like utility like so like hauling in a cooler or you know hauling in your camp chairs and your your tents and and that stuff uh, so that's what we see more or the t- single wheel trailer there. But, uh, the, the, the cool thing about the two wheel trailers, it does pack down and fold down pretty nice, you know? So it's nice for like, for like, uh, extended like hunting trips when you're having to pack a lot of gear and, you know, so that one does fold up nice, which I, I like quite a bit. And, you know, really for like the, the, the white hunter private land, you know, mainly, um, most people aren't pulling out a deer on private land with their bikes, although they can, they're strictly using it more for access and scouting because a lot of times when you get that deer down or whatever, you're not really concerned about, um, stealth about low impact. You're yeah. just going to drive your truck out there if you can, or drag it a hundred yards to your truck and, you know, call it a day. Um, whereas the Western guy, yeah, you really can use it as a, as a, uh, you know, a way to haul more gear and, um, but you can also just throw a quarter on the back, you know, on the rear rack or, you know, I'll throw a quarter in my pack, you know, for example, and I, I might throw one if, depending on the terrain. If I think I can handle it, maneuver the bike with that much weight, I might strap one to the, to the rear rack and not even need a trailer. So there's certain aspects where you might use it and certain aspects where you don't um, yeah. too.
0: Yeah. And in the Midwest, I mean, on fairly level ground, you could just tie the rope around it instead of dragging it out by yourself, just tie it to the bike and drag it on the back of the bike.
1: Yeah, I've had people do that as well. I've got pictures of ropes tied to a deer and they're dragging <laughs> them out without a trailer. So they they definitely have the, the power and capacity to, to do that.
0: Sure. Some other options that are cool little accessories as you're getting in the back country, making sure that you're protecting yourself. You got tire liners for flats as well, right?
1: Yeah. Tire liners, I would say are must have, whether you're riding in, you know, Midwest cornfields or here in the west you know some of these blm lands a lot of cactus around um you know south you can get a lot of thorns and burrs and stuff like that so i mean it's that's just a no-brainer that's if you're a hunter and you're using these for backcountry uh, you know expeditions and and uh trying to get in the last thing you want to deal with is a flat and um so we sell these they're called tannis liners we partnered with them and uh, they're a foam insert that goes in between the rim and the tube. And so they're pretty thick. Um, they don't, the nice thing about them is they don't change any of like the handling of the bike, but they just give a nice stability and prevent those punctures. Um, if, if there was a major, major thorn or something did pierce through that, that liner, um, the cool thing about those foam inserts is that they are designed to be ridden. They have ride flat technology essentially. So they're rigid enough that they still support and protect the rim. So if you were to get a flat, you could still get out. It's You're not going to be hauling 20 miles an hour, but you could still ride that bike out um, and nice. not damage anything. So that's the cool thing about those. So those hands down, everybody should have those in their bike.
0: Heck yeah. And one of the other nice things for those that want a little bit easier ride is there's a suspension seat as well, which isn't just for like weight, but as you're getting on rough terrain and like we were talking about washboard roads, that starts to grind your teeth a little bit, but that seat really helps out, right? Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, exactly. So suspension seat post is a great option, um, you know, for those, especially those hard tail bikes, it's really not necessarily on the Ridge runner or the Jeep bike that have the full front and rear suspension. But, um, yeah, on those hardtail bikes, such as the Apex or the Ranger, it makes a big difference when you're, you're bumping down those roads. And you can adjust the settings on there, you know, based on weight, how much rebound, and everything like that. Um, so great, great accessory option. And, and then, you know, too, with the suspension of those hardtail bikes, um, you know, tire pressure makes a big difference, too. If you're, if you're riding a lot of rough trails and rocky conditions, you know i'd probably run them 10 to 12 you know psi as opposed to 25 psi you're going to get a nicer nicer ride out of just the tire pressure too
0: for sure and it just seems like such a great accessory for somebody that does want to get either really far back Doesn't matter where you're at. If you want to get away from people, follow a trail down or just do whatever, you know, you could put a bike in the back of the truck on a bike trail or whatever, you know, it's just a great accessory and an improvement off of your standard bike. And like you said, it's saving your legs. It's letting you haul out stuff instead Mm -hmm. of humping a quarter, you know, of an elk four or five miles out in rough terrain, you can now e-bike it out. How much better is that?
1: That's the way to do it, man. (laughs) We're living, we're living in the next next generation of, of hunting and access here, man. It's, it's really the way to go. It really is. Is there
0: anything else that we haven't covered that you want people to know about quiet cat e-bikes? We went, went over quite a bit.
1: Yeah. Well, just a few more things on the accessories. Most, most hunters, um, typically will roll with two more items. Uh, one being our fender set front and rear fenders and keep the mud and the water from splashing up on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, the, uh, the Explorer headlight is a, is a popular item just because, yeah, you can, you can run your um, headlamp, you know, that works, that works well, but we make these, these lights that are just mount right to your handlebar. They can recharge, um, you know, just USB, the rechargeable batteries. You can toggle between red and white led So if you're, you're white to in the Midwest, you can flip it over to red, um, you know, animals, deer, they can't see that, light spectrum as well as just your normal white light so um that's a cool feature for for some of those whitetail hunters or trying to maintain low impact getting in and out um but just how bright those lights are and how well they're built they, they are removable from the bike so if you do forget your headlamp or flashlight you know you got that as another option as well so that's just another really great accessory item for, for hunters and, uh, just a lot of night riding and, you know, cause we're always, you know, a lot of times you're riding in, you know, before dark yep. or, you know, in the dark in the morning and in the dark on the way out. So yep. it's, it's, an, it's definitely nice to have.
0: For sure. And that's, that's a great point. If you accidentally forgot your headlamp or whatever, or it ran out of battery, which happens all the time. You got an extra one right there.
1: Yeah. And and on our, uh, Explorer 2000 our you know, bigger, more powerful, um, Bike light. It actually has a uh, a USB charging port, so you can use it as a uh, you know a mobile uh, phone charger or uh, for any of your accessories around camp um, as well. So that's a nice little feature Heck yeah. too.
0: Heck yeah. Well, tell everybody where they can find out more about Quiet Cat. You know, website and Instagram, all that other good stuff.
1: Yeah. So uh, check us out, QuietCat.com. It's Q. U I E T K A T dot com. Uh, got all our models listed on there. You can watch a ton of cool videos. We got a lot of training, you know, and, and tutorial resources on how to ride the bikes, how to maintain your bikes, how to assemble your bike. Um, a lot of just good information out there. Um, you know instagram facebook we're we're on those as well so a lot a of, lot of cool stuff man we got a lot of stuff in the works for new technologies and new offers for you know the coming coming months and coming years and and uh so you'll see some pretty pretty sweet stuff coming down the pipe here uh in the near future from quiet so yeah definitely check us out and, and if you have any questions on anything i mean we have a great um support team we have a great inside sales team so if you're considering a bike you know give us a call or you know send us a chat on our on our website we're we're happy to talk and and then work through you know hey this scenario hey you should go with this bike because of x y and z or you know hey you're using it for this well i recommend this model and you know these accessories so we've got a great team that can help you get the right bike and and, and work with you that way so definitely reach out
0: Yeah, that's perfect. They can help you figure out what one's right for you, what one's right for the right price, and basically make your hunting life a lot better and easier and probably more productive.
1: 100%. 100%.
0: Totally awesome, man. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks for helping us learn more about e-bikes and in particular the Quiet Cat line, man. It's awesome.
1: Thanks for having us on, Marty. Really appreciate it.
0: My pleasure. We'll talk to you soon.